0: FFA is an organization where we all belong,
1: where we all learn, and where we all grow to become what the world needs next.
0: Indianapolis, ground zero once again for the FFA Super Bowl. 70,000 students from across the country gathering in the heartland for the organization's 96th, that's right, 96th annual meeting.
1: We're the next generation of leaders.
0: And we are proud to celebrate our accomplishments here in the Circle City. The FFA convention driving millions of dollars into Indiana's economy. Why membership is at an all-time high and a key player in tying it all together. FFA National Organization President Molly Ball, my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. It is a big week in central Indiana for the future leaders of America, young people from all over the country here, walking around downtown wearing their all-too-familiar blue jackets, attending events at the National FFA's annual gathering. It is one of Indianapolis's biggest conventions, raking in roughly $40 million dollars, And it's also a time to showcase potential careers for young people interested in agriculture and i'm pleased to be joined on the podcast this week by molly ball molly is the president and chief marketing officer at the national ffa organization based right here in indianapolis molly welcome
1: thank you so much for having me
0: you know your job your role Is a big one with a big organization year round. But certainly this week, as uh, you look at the National FFA Convention and Expo that uh, kicks off in Indianapolis, is this your Super Bowl? I I guess would maybe be a good way to describe it.
1: That's a really good way to describe it, actually. Yes, it is FFA Super Bowl. You know, we bring in. Gosh, I I can't even tell you the number this year because we'll announce that on Saturday, but as of right now, we're over uh, almost to the 70,000 number where we're bringing in students, teachers, sponsors, donors, and people that volunteer from across the country to to Indianapolis, which is, you know, uh, a huge feat in itself. We have 106 employees and we rely very heavily on Indiana, Indiana volunteers because we only have 106 bringing these people to convention.
0: Yeah, talk about the convention, the mm-hmm. size cuz mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. big, one of the biggest mm-hmm. conventions in the state of Indiana to be sure. So the the size everybody knows the convention because they see the blue jackets, right, in downtown Indianapolis that converge on on mm-hmm. the city, but there's so much going on from a leadership standpoint. Mm-hmm technology standpoint. Careers, I know, are a big, big part of this. How how would you describe the convention, this annual event, to folks who may not be familiar?
1: So the size and scope, I'll start there first. So we appreciate the city of Indianapolis and Indiana for supporting us, but we take over the Indiana Convention Center, the Indiana State Fairgrounds, and Lucas Oil Stadium. So our footprint is huge. And, And then we have Programs for students that they can sign up for, like days of service. So they'll go into local nonprofits and serve in those local nonprofits all over the city. So to give back in a way, and also launches their own thoughts on a service project, but also they do career success tours. So either on their way in to Indiana, to Indianapolis, or while they're here, they will go out into different communities like Bex Hybrids, Corteva AgriScience, Fair Oaks Farms. They will go to different organizations and learn more about the career opportunities in the world of science and business of agriculture.
0: As you, one of the things that I thought was interesting in doing a little, little research is that membership, FFA membership, is at an all-time high. Mm-hmm. I, I think nearly a million members, an 11% increase from the previous year. And that surprised me. I mean, what what's driving that?
1: Mm-hmm. So about 945,000 nationwide. We have a lot of different programs in which, you know, agriculture, so agricultural education and FFA are together. So you have an agricultural education teacher in a classroom, and then you have FFA as sort of the leadership experience. And what teachers are doing is we have an opportunity, what we call affiliate membership. So all students in their classroom can be part of FFA if they pay one flat fee. And so that's what more and more states are doing is we want all students in agricultural education to be part of FFA. So they're enrolling more and more students as they become bigger and bigger in the classrooms to be part of FFA. So that's where we're seeing the spike uh, in students.
0: What's in terms of the interest? Because I, I've, I've long said if you um, you want to feel good about the the future of the economy. Talk to somebody who's an FFA, especially a leadership person in FFA, because some of the most impressive people you'll want to meet are in that in that organization. Talk about kind of the the output, if you will, of national mm-hmm. FFA and mm-hmm. and you know, really what it does.
1: So when we graduate students, we graduate obviously about 100,000 a year into the world of, you know, not only agriculture and food, Gary, but also just into life, right? We're we're launching them as productive citizens into their communities to give back, to create opportunities for others, but also in the world of feeding 9 billion people in 2050. You know, that's a huge, daunting task for our students. They are going to be, gosh, we think about 2050, the students that are in SSA today will be 37. So they'll be right on the cusp of really solving these huge needs for our world. And, you know, we need to give them every opportunity to be part of it. Even students that aren't interested in traditional agriculture, there's opportunities for them. I mean, look at up the street in Corteva. Mm-hmm. We, they hire chemists and scientists and, 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 and folks like that, business people. So I don't think you have to come from a traditional background of agriculture to think about how do we feed people in the in the future.
0: Talk about that because I know that's a big push in, on a lot of fronts in terms of careers in agriculture and in getting through that that stereotype that it's just a limited number of of, of jobs that are out there when there are so many in the talent pipeline and the role that the FFA plays. Talk about the, the, the message, the messaging that you're trying to get out mm-hmm. to students and others about about that variety of, of careers.
1: Yeah. And so I think that's, you know, it's sort of a catch-22 for us because we have been expanding on careers and talking about the variety of careers through different programs like we have an Ag Explorer. So students can get on and they can kind of take a career assessment, if you will, and then look at different things like I like to be outside. So what does turf grass management look like for me? Or forestry or landscape design. But I also think about students who say, I'm in production agriculture, what about me? And so we've, you know, we've really got to balance both sides because two percent or less of you know the country today is is kids that come from a traditional background in agriculture. So how are we preparing them? To be able to go back to a farm, but also, you know, be prepared to introduce new science te- technology that's in agriculture today. AI, you know, h- how do we introduce that? I mean, we've been talking for drones about drones for years, but how do we equip the teachers to talk about new ways in the business and technology? And I think that's the great part of this convention is that our teachers get to go see what's new and in the future. In agriculture, so they can help prepare their students better in the classroom. So, you know, like John Deere or Case IH is going to bring an autonomous tractor. So, what does that mean for students that are coming from a traditional farm? To what is that you know bringing bringing autonomous tractor into the fold? So that you know the technology is just extremely mm-hmm. changing all the time, and we've got to help prepare our teachers and students to 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 be able to you know teach that, but also be excited about what what is in the future.
0: Yeah. As you look at the corporate support for for mm-hmm. FFA, you know, the, the John Deere's and Purdue Farms and here in Indiana, Bex and Corteva mm-hmm. and others, Fair Oaks Farms. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's always been there. Do corporate leaders think maybe it's even more important to support FFA now based on what we're talking about here?
1: Yeah. I mean, we have um, seen a huge I shouldn't say huge a big increase in support because they know they have talent is going to drive their business. And they see FFA as the talent pool for the future. Not only talent, you know, it just in the technology area, but diverse talent. And so they know that we are sort of that pipeline, if you will, for for the future of their industry. So this year we're holding a CEO roundtable, which we're bringing about 40 CEOs from across the country diverse agriculture backgrounds to Indianapolis and really holding it as an advice session. You know, as we're preparing students for the future to deliver to you, industry, what do we need to do better? Mm-hmm. What do we need to, what's our strategic plan look like? What's our sort of moonshot, if you will, of where? how do we prepare students? Not only are we bringing CEOs back from various companies that support us, but departments of agriculture. So Don Lamb from Indiana, well, it's trying to join us other departments of agriculture from across the country, because how do we help them create more opportunity for students to work in agriculture? So bringing business and industry. So, you know, it's kind of an advice session for us of, OK, you look at us for for the talent. What do we need to do differently to prepare our students?
0: I know there have been efforts that I, I can remember seeing by FFA, too, as you talk about diverse talent and diversity to to engage more urban environments, more urban settings. Has that met with success? Is that a challenge? Where, where where does that stand?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, so we've seen some success in the New York State Department of Agriculture. They've really invested in agricultural education there. And so expanding urban agriculture. So there's uh, four new chapters in the New York suburbs, New York City suburbs, I should say that. In other states have done the same. What we do at the convention, because we can influence there, is we have a program called FFA for All, where we bring students from diverse backgrounds, you know, from Puerto Rico or mm-hmm. from urban settings together to really talk about what opportunities they have beyond, you know, beyond the world of their classroom. There's so much opportunity and we bring leaders, you know, industry leaders to meet them so that they can understand, you know, I don't have to come from a production background, I, I, you know, the leadership that I need to be part of this organization is X, Y, and Z. So, you know, we're really hoping that we can bring more students of diverse backgrounds to, mm-hmm. to FFA and we've increased numbers over time, but I think we need to do a better job of um, also graduating teachers that will go into urban programs um, mm-hmm. and, and, and recruit those students to be part of FFA.
0: I know you released, uh, FFA released uh, a three-year strategic plan, I think it was mm-hmm. last year, and, and I guess I would describe it uh, as the three E's, evolve, engage, empower. Give us a thumbnail description about that kind of that, that vision, that three-year strategic mm-hmm. plan for the National mm-hmm. FFA.
1: Mm-hmm so it can it, it it's all connected gary so when we look at our and evolving we have to as i talked about before we have to evolve our programs to meet the needs of students in the future to meet the needs of companies so you know i don't want to pick on it but we've had livestock judging for century for you know years right. and years yeah. which has been amazing and students have gotten so much out of it but how do we evolve that program to meet the needs of the meat and, and dairy and, and animal industry now? What does that look like? It's not just judging livestock, it's about the technology needed to ensure that we are creating sustainable food system. So evolving programs like that engage is how do we engage students at every part of their journey of FFA and engaging students from diverse backgrounds? Mm-hmm. You know How do we build that community there so that students feel comfortable being part of industry in the future. So that's the engage part. And then empower, it really has to do with how do we support our state system? You know, we're national FFA, but we're a confederation of 52 states. And so in each state runs itself. And so that turnover since COVID has been great. We've had a lot of turnover in that state staff. So state staff run the FFA programs in the state, how do we support them so they can deliver FFA, but also how do we support them so they can start new chapters and bring more kids into the fold? So it's sort of, and it can go back and forth, you know, how do we mm-hmm. build the state system to then engage more students to evolve our programs? So it's all interconnected.
0: How, how in terms of, uh, we're going to go to a break here in a, a second, but as you're trying to attract more students and you talked about that daunting task of feeding the world, which is out there for for agriculture, does that using that as a bit of a sales pitch and, you know, getting students (laughs) engaged and say, Hey, we can change the world, you know, help change the world. Is that, is that part of the pitch maybe?
1: Yeah. I mean, we, you know, our vision is to prepare a generation of leaders who will change the world. And what does that mean? It means changing the community in Danville, Indiana. It means, you know, changing the world by being another Norman Borlaug, you know, and feeding people, serving people in, in Africa. You know, it's whatever that student brings to the table, how they will change their own community in the world. It's a huge sales pitch, but I think there are things that there are barriers in s- school systems where students can't join. If it's an educational barrier, if it's a, you know, technology barrier, there's, there are things that, you know, prevent students from, from being part of FFA or ag education in FFA. We need to broaden our programs. We, you know, here in Hamilton County, they're starting to look at how do they bring in ag education to a classroom. So Hamilton Southeastern has a program. Westfield just started a program, you know, creating that poly, sort of polytechnic technical yeah. Yeah. Uh, education for students.
0: Do, do, do you sense that uh, that made me think about you talk about new programs? I think at the university level here mm-hmm. in Indiana, you know, Huntington University. I know in, in Northeast Indiana has has launched agriculture programs. Interestingly enough, doing a podcast with the president of the University of Southern Indiana. And and he actually brought up the fact that he would love to engage the university in ag and ag related programs. So it sounds like from a higher education standpoint that that maybe ag's kind of a cool space to to be in.
1: Well, I, that's awesome. I'd love mm-hmm. to talk to that president too, because yeah. we, you know, I'm sure we can help, but like Sherilyn Pemberton's coming to the convention, to the round table, as well as Bernie Engel, the new department chair in the College of Ag at Purdue. Just, you know, how can we help support them to bring more students into their their universities and programs? I mean, you look at kids that are interested in computer science and technology. This is a cool industry to be in, especially with that, because it's ever evolving. And jobs are a plenty. I mean, I have been out talking to so many corporations, Cargill, CHS, John Deere's, name a few. And they are hungry for students, hungry for employees that want to learn and lead and go overseas and move. And, you know, all of the things they are hungry for students to come to them from FFA.
0: Much more with National FFA President. Chief Marketing Officer Molly Ball, when we return, including her path, her career path, and a lot more. That's when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. And welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is Molly Ball. Molly's the president and chief marketing officer at the National FFA uh, organization. And Molly, before or before we get into s- some of your background and your, your career path, in the break, we were talking about some unique programs th- that FFA has started in interesting areas, the south south side of Chicago. There's a magnet school that is totally focused on ag. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so it's called the Chicago High School of Agri-Sciences. It's been around for a long time. I think I want to say maybe the 60s, 70s, and it's a magnet school. So students have to apply. It's part of the Chicago public school system. They have to apply. I think they have about 900 students total and um, about 99% of the students that graduate and then they go on to higher education. But I just visited there this summer, and it is so Cool. There are kids giving horse riding lessons. There is veterinary science. So they had lambs and they had sheep or lambs and they had hogs. And they also have a floral design class. They have agricultural math. They have English. They have history. Gosh, you name it. It's, they've got it. And it's, it's such a, it's such a cool program. And those kids are just outstanding. There's a young lady I met who was just fantastic, came from, you know, just a, a a tough home. And she got accepted to Albion College in Michigan as going there for her undergraduate in biology and chemistry so that she can go on to vet school. She thought no. it was a better path for her to go to a little smaller school and then be able to get into vet school um, a lot easier. So well, it's just, th- it's so cool.
0: That is very interesting. and you, And you mentioned there are other examples too in places, mm-hmm. places like Atlanta, right?
1: Atlanta, we're in 21 of the 22 largest cities. So wow. you can think of Queens, New York. There's a really neat chapter, John Bowne High School. You know, I've been up to Connecticut. There's some really neat schools up there right on the ocean. They're studying lobstering and, and oyster production and, you know, aquaculture. So you go across this country and you see they are focusing on what is, you know, what's the need in that school. So and a lot of them are magnet schools. Atlanta, a teacher there in north side of Atlanta, she has a worm farm. <laughs> she learned that you can make a lot of money on worms for really? health. Wow. And so she's she and her students decided they were going to start a worm farm and she was, you cannot believe how much money people pay me for worms. And so I wow. raised money and chap, you know, and 98% of her student population is African American from the mm-hmm.
0: Atlanta. Um, wow. Really worked, interesting. Yeah. 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 Well, well, tell me about Molly Ball. Molly, where'd you grow up?
1: I grew up in Vicksburg, Michigan, which is about 20 minutes south of Kalamazoo. Went to Michigan State University and gra- And I was an FFA, graduated in agricultural communications and agribusiness minor. So was
0: that was Vicksburg, was that a, a rural area? <laughs> yeah. What was it like growing up there?
1: Yeah. So Very small school. My kids go to Carmel, so it's very hard to uh, (laughs) understand what graduating with 150 people is compared to a thousand. You know, very small. We had a wonderful ag program that was supported by the community. We are the only program in Kalamazoo County, so we'd have students coming from different schools to be part of our um, ag ed program. But I knew early on that this was, you know, I was raised on a soybean and corn farm there, and in Kalamazoo. And I knew early on, this is the industry that I wanted to be a part of and had no idea what agricultural communications was. I knew that I liked to talk to people. I knew I liked to <laughs> you know, do do programs and leadership. So I met my academic advisor at Michigan State University and talked to him a little bit about agri-marketing and ag communications and its history. So Michigan State was a great school to go to for, yeah. for what I wanted to do.
0: Another land land grant institution right there in the state of Michigan. Yep. What uh, of Were course. there people, yeah, you know, role models, people who kind of encouraged you along the way sure. as, as, you know, things progressed?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I call my academic advisor, Dr. Kirk Heinze, probably my second father. You know, he was uh, the one who encouraged all of us. And it was just it wasn't just me. There was us. There was a lot of students that he was a huge role model to. You know, and people along the way. Bill Stagg, if you remember Bill from FFA. He was my first boss at National FFA when I came to work there in nineteen ninety-eight. He was an amazing communicator, amazing writer, always challenged us to to do some really thoughtful work for the FFA. But yeah, I mean, gosh, you know, you get into a point in your career and you're like, there's so many people. I went mm-hmm. to higher education and raise money. I had some unbelievable bosses that I loved working with and mm-hmm. people that I worked with along the way as well.
0: So agriculture, you know, the way you were raised, obviously, you, you knew from a young age, probably that that was going to be maybe a career path for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, my dad would, I was the kid and the, the cabs look a lot different in uh, planters and harvesters today than they did then. Mm-hmm. You know, as a little kid, you sit in the back behind the, the cockpit chair, squeezed in between the window and the chair. And hopefully the window doesn't open, you fall out. <laughs> farm safety was was thought of back then. But, you know, and he'd bring me out in grain bins and I had to push all the soybeans down so he could put put them in the auger and put, you know, so it was just part of my life. And my dad wasn't a full-time farmer. He worked at, if you remember, Upjohn at the time. Sure, uh, yeah. And Upjohn Company, now Pfizer. But yeah, it was... It was a great way to grow up. Love how I'm raising my kids here in Carmel, Indiana. But you know, they they miss something. They're missing that that you know you have to get up and feed the animals at six a.m. and Uh seven a.m. Yeah, Um, you you know that. I don't want to say work ethic. They got good work ethic, but the the thought of something else relies on me. You know, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned higher education. You had a stint in higher education and fundraising. Yeah, and. Prior role at FFA, right? You headed up the uh, yeah. the foundation, which yeah. obviously is a big fundraising role. Talk about obviously that fundraising function is mm-hmm. so important for any organization, but you know for an organization like like the National FFA, it'd be critically important to engage you know the corporate community and, and others to support the mission.
1: Yeah, so the foundation started back in the fifties with Harvey Firestone. And he he realized that students needed resources to be able to excel in FFA. They wanted scholarships. And so he started a letter writing campaign. And he wrote to all of his friends at General Motors and Ford and all of John Deere, all of his friends at the time, because, you know, they all needed tires. And started asking them, can you give to the National FFA? This is very important to me. So on and on and on. And now today, you know. 75 plus years later, we're raising, you know, this year we'll announce $28 million Mm -hmm. um, in fundraising for FFA. And it's not just national FFA. It's for states and local chapters too. So a lot of our sponsors not only give to national FFA, but it's been critically important that they give to local FFA chapters access dollars. What Mm -hmm. is critical need right now is students to be able to have access dollars to, to come to the National Convention, to go to Washington Leadership Conference. And other things, scholarships is still a huge part of our fundraising every year. Students receive mm-hmm. scholarships to go into a higher education or a two-year program. And then of course, our programmatic fundraising. We've really focused on sustainability over the last couple of years, and you know, helping students understand, and we writing writing curriculum to help them with sustainability opportunities. Mm-hmm as well as diversity you know how do we expand our programs to ensure that we're getting diverse pipeline so there's been an evolution of our programs over the years and and sponsors are right there and also we've been building our individual donor program i mean if you think about the masses of alumni we have out there we have like one of the largest i mean i came from higher ed fundraising too and you look at the mass of alumni we have out there it's it's millions you know and we really need to sort of harness that philanthropy from our millions of, of of alumni. I just learned that Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Lions, yeah, is a former FFA member. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh,
0: that's interesting. Yeah, he
1: he he, he played football at Glen Rose, Texas, was an FFA member, and um, so I got to figure out how I can get you
0: connect with him. Yeah, involved. He could have used <laughs> your, you know. Your tips against they had a big game against the Ravens. They kind of got smoked, but but he's doing a heck of a job. Boy, the Lions yeah. are, the mm-hmm. Lions are certainly back. Molly Ball, mm-hmm. it's been a real treat to catch up with you, and I know this is a very busy time for you. Good luck, rest up Thank you. I know this this week is going to be a big, exhausting. Uh, yeah, exhausting week for you, mm-hmm. but an mm-hmm. important one for a lot of kids and uh, certainly for the city of Indianapolis as well. Thanks.
1: Yep. Thanks, Indy.
0: Molly Ball, the President and Chief Marketing Officer of the National FFA Organization. Thanks uh, to Molly. And thank you for joining us on this episode of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It's a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download it at Apple or wherever you find your podcast and get Indiana Business News 24-7 at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us.